0: It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
2: It's New York, New York presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now you can check out the new an improved parlay hub filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem one 100 Gambler? or Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash, Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. The middle of May is here. The Knicks are trying to lock up a spot in that 4-5 game. What a big win here against the San Antonio Spurs. We got you covered on that. The Yankees did a hell of a job against the Rays. And not so much on Thursday night. And when will the Yankee Bats actually come to life? We got a loaded show. Ian O'Connor from the New York Post. Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football. We will have my main man, Mike Carver, who's going to help us handicap the Islanders in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Tons of listener voicemails. What a time to be alive. Middle of May, New York, New York. It's coming up next. Alrighty, let's roll, baby, episode 18 of New York, New York, with yours truly JJ Johnji Strimsky and a much needed sigh of relief for New York Knickerbocker fans who are thinking long and hard about a 4-5 potential matchup, maybe with the Atlanta Hawks. Well, if you're gonna get in that 4-5 game, there can't be any messing around against Charlotte and Boston over the weekend, but more specifically, Thursday night against the San Antonio Spurs. And, I have to admit, for two and a half quarters watching this basketball game, I kind of got the sense that the Knicks looked a little flat, looked lethargic, because of what happened a couple of nights ago against the Los Angeles Lakers. And, We talked about this when our pal James Albarino was on the show. The idea of coming back off of a West Coast trip and playing that first game back at home, even though you're in your own bed and you're in your own comforts, you get back on the court. Sometimes teams are a step slow. And to me, in watching this game, the Knicks were clearly a step slow in the first half. Thankfully, though, they came alive specifically from beyond the three point arc that ended up being the difference in this game. And you got to start first with Alec Burks, who did not play the other night against the Los Angeles Lakers. And without Derrick Rose, was money. Burks has been an unbelievable free agent signing for this team. He has five threes, he goes 11 to 20 from the field, and he gives you 30 points. Burks was off the rails on a night when Julius Randle was incredibly inefficient. You look at Randall's numbers. See, this is why you got to watch the games. And this is why I tell it to people all the time. If you're going to do this for a living, podcast world, television world, radio world, and be good at it, you got to watch the games. Because there are some things that you can just blurt out and BS. Like you can blurt out, oh, Randall was one rebound and one assist away from a triple-double. You watch the game, you know Julius Randle was not vintage Julius Randle. When you go 7-21 from the field and you take a bunch of bad shots like he did tonight, he was not on his game. It happens. I'm not looking to roast Randle, who's my dog and he's my dude. He didn't have a great night. But the Knicks bailed him out because they hit 14 three-point shots. Not only Burks, but R.J. Barrett, who was terrible against the Lakers the other night. Gives you 24 and is 5-9 and nine from three. And how about the emergence of R.J. Barrett's three-point shot? Last year, R.J. Barrett couldn't sniff hitting a three. His three-point shooting was painful to watch. Sad to watch. He's turned into a terrific knockdown shooter. And he's got confidence when he takes that outside shot. Nick defense in the fourth quarter, too, was money. That's what they do. They lock San Antonio down 21 points. 21 points. Outscored him by eight in the fourth quarter. Ends up being the difference in the game. Now, these scenarios over the weekend, they are going to get fascinating. The Knicks need to win their two games. Charlotte and Boston, they need to win the two games. Will Milwaukee push for the two seed? I don't know. Does Milwaukee say, we don't want to play Miami? we'd rather play the Knicks, lose on Saturday night, and know that the Knicks are going to be in the sixth seed. There are a lot of moving parts. It's impossible for me to get a sense for how these teams prioritize seeding. Sometimes you think you know, other times you got no idea, and it's like being at the crafts table. You don't know what's coming out on the dice. You might think you do, but you don't. From the Knicks, though, I'm playing balls to the wall. And if you know anything about Tibbs, and you know anything about this team, you know they are playing balls to the wall over the course of the weekend. Win the two home games. And wherever it takes you, wherever it takes you. That's my advice. Now, from a baseball standpoint, I'm not going to kill the Yankees. When they have done something they have not done in a long, long time, they went to Tropicana Field and took two out of three from the Tampa Bay Rays. That had a terrific game. We talked about it with Montgomery on Tuesday night. And last night, it was the Garrett Cole show. Garrett Cole has been everything the Yankees could have imagined. And then some. And then some. That's how good he has been. Not just on the mound, being the ace, being the leader, being the mentor. Understanding New York and how to handle New York. Not every guy can do that. Not every talented pitcher or player has that sort of sixth sense. Cole has it. I wanted to see him go nine yesterday. I was saying, let him finish that sucker. Chapman did the job. The Yankees won a 1-0 game. And you wanted blood tonight. But if you know anything about Vegas, and I do, not saying that I win all the time because I don't, but I know how to read lines. When this line went from Yankees minus 135 to Yankees basically at pick by game time, I would never do this because I don't bet against my teams. Tampa was a great bet on Thursday night. They were a great bet. They came alive against Jamison Tyon. And with the Yankees now dealing with this COVID pause for Gleyber Torres, they didn't want to play Luke Voigt, which I don't understand. I mean, that had to be a planned, you know, off day that they had scheduled weeks ahead. I hated that. Hated it. You got a chance to go for the throat against the lefty pitcher and Rich Hill. Put void on the field. But the Yankee lineup did nothing. And the Yankees are playing much better baseball. They're within striking distance of the Red Sox. Even after losing 9-1 on Thursday night. The common theme remains, though. The Yankees are not scoring runs. Stanton has done his part. Urshela has been incredible. Up and down the lineup, though. They're not hitting. They go to Camden Yards this weekend. This is a place they normally get right and feast, especially in that ballpark. Can the Yankees go put together some quality at-bats and have a breakout offensive weekend? The pitching has done its part. Tyon did not. A lot of strikeouts, but too many runs. But as a whole here, Yankee bats got to pick it up. Good week, though. Taking two or three from Tampa. Tampa following up that Astros and Nationals and Tigers homestand, that's good baseball. Playing a much better brand of baseball. Now it's about getting the offense going. So before we hit my main Manny and O'Connor, we're hitting the voicemail line early. Rocking and rolling. Who's leading us off?
3: JJ, it's Anthony inside opposite and I have a simple fucking question. The NFL schedule is out and week three, the Vegas Raiders are home. That same weekend, I will be in Las Vegas for a wedding. That same weekend, the Miami Dolphins will be in Las Vegas playing the Vegas Raiders. The Miami Dolphins will be in Las Vegas. Anthony and Shiaxin will be in Las Vegas. JJ, JJ. week three, Will you be in fucking Las Vegas? I got
2: good news for you, Anthony and Syosset. JJ loves the Vegas. The Vegas, the Dolphins, and Anthony and Syosset, that is an offer that I cannot refuse, my friend. The Vegas and the Dolphins. I'm there. I've planned out my two Dolphin road trips for the year. The Giant game will be one of them. And because I don't want to see the Ravens run for 300 yards against the Dolphins like they always do, Vegas in September sounds pretty damn sweet. Ian O'Connor is coming up next.
4: This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
2: Let's welcome in a guy I've been reading for a long, long time. And it feels like in many ways, a reunion because he's back killing it once again. For the New York Post, he was on one of my last radio shows. Now he's a podcast contributor. I love it. Ian O'Connor, what's happening, Ian?
5: What's up, John? How are you?
2: Ian, a couple of new gigs for both of us, bro. Who knew? I know.
5: I know. But uh, I'm enjoying it, and it looks like you are, too. So we're in a good place.
2: Um, Being back at the Post, does it bring back a whole lot of nostalgic vibes for you, or because... The business has changed dramatically. It's almost, in many ways,
5: like a new gig. Uh, It is a new gig. Uh, I, I did want to get back to New York. I have for the last uh, three, four years or so. I missed that what I had in the '90s at the Daily News, and I actually really enjoyed that tabloid war at the time between the Daily News and the Post. That the dynamic of that has really changed and shifted over the years and it is a different business but nypost.com is a very very viable and successful website along with the print product and i believe the post right now is the fourth largest print publication newspaper in the country so it's a it's a thriving product and outlet in a lot of uh different ways so but i i did uh i did miss new york quite a bit i was at espn new york for the first four years of my stay at espn the last seven that uh, that outlet wasn't in place. So since that point, I've, I've had this feeling of at least trying to get back one more time and, and being a columnist in New York, to me, there's nothing like it. Well, you go back to when you were writing in the 1990s. Think about it. The Yankees
2: rise to prominence, the Knicks mattering year after year. Right. Um, In the last couple of years have been dreadful. I mean, absolutely dreadful from a writing standpoint, from a radio podcast standpoint, from a fan standpoint, the teams have stunk. Do you finally now get the sense the city's teams have turned the corner or are you kind of more on the cautious side of things?
5: I think uh, turning the corner, maybe not turned, turning the corner. And I think Thibodeau has established a program that is going to last in terms of being competitive. I think it's important for the city's sports landscape, for for the Knicks to be relevant and part of it. Without the Knicks for the better part of two decades – That was a giant hole in New York sports. I think you know that better than anyone, John. And I think I'm not saying the Knicks are going to win a championship in the next five or six years, but I do believe that Tibbs will have them competitive in that conference semi conference, final uh, area pretty much every year. I think they've got, if they can get in that four or five series, which I think is critical this year with Atlanta, I think they'll get to the conference semis and That'll be the first building block for Thibodeau trying to get to to the NBA Finals and win a championship for this franchise for the first time since 1973. But in the 90s, it was unbelievable. I'm not a hockey guy, but the Rangers obviously doing what they did in 94, the Knicks being right there through the 90s, even though they didn't break through the Yankee dynasty. And, And so that was a real special time in New York when I think of the heyday of... really my career. I guess when people look at it, they think of the Knicks in the nineties and the garden was such a special place to be. And I have a hard time convincing my son and people of his generation that the Knicks were actually bigger than they don't believe you. They they don't believe you. It's crazy. Right. And as it turns out, the Knicks didn't win and the Yankees won well, four out of five. And then of course they won the fifth in 2009, but the Knicks were actually bigger. It felt that way anyway. I think the ratings at the time in the mid nineties suggested that. So, it was uh it was a special time. I'm I'm not saying that New York is gonna get back to that, but I think what's important, the Yankees are always gonna knock on the door. They'll always be in the conversation as far as trying to win a championship. But just to have the Knicks relevant again, I think is a a really big part of it. And and I think Tibbs will keep them there for a while. So I think we agree on this then. When the
2: Knicks are humming and when the Knicks are good, Ian, I think they're the number one team in town.
5: I don't think that's crazy, correct? Yeah, I think you're right. And and again, they've been gone for so long, though, that I think it's going to take two, three years and maybe a couple of conference finals and appearance in the finals to get back to where the Yankees having won those five championships, it's going to be hard to match that again and surpass it. I, I'm not saying it's impossible. And I think if the, if the Knicks win a championship, they will surpass the Yankees in this town and, and certainly the Giants. But Will they? And 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 I'm a believer in looking at this roster right now, as great as Julius Randle has been. And as it's admirable, the the work he's put in to make himself that much of a better player and particularly shooter. RJ Barrett on the come had a had a big game tonight uh, against the, the Spurs. Without him, they don't win that game. They need to, to win that game to stay in that four or five conversation. Uh, but can they be the two best players on a championship team? When you look at who you're going up against, the answer is almost certainly no. So the question is Leon Rose worldwide West. Are they good enough at their jobs to figure out a way to get a home run hitter in there with either Randall or Barrett? If you think Barrett is the better long-term option at at the, you know, as, as, sort of that second best player on a championship team. So it's going to be very interesting in the next couple of years, what they decide to do. I think you almost certainly have to bring Randall back and resign him, but can they win a championship with those two guys as your best player and best players and Derek Rose as sort of the third guy. I think even the most optimistic Knicks fan would say no. So how do they upgrade? It's going to be fascinating to watch.
2: Okay. Colin DeGrom doing their thing every fifth day is awesome. And I get it, Ian. Offense is down everywhere in baseball. Nobody can score runs. But you watch those guys and the way they take their craft seriously with the way they go and dominate, I think hands down they're the number one and number two pitchers in all of baseball. When's the last time you can think back on two New York pitchers? Is there ever a time in your years to cover in New York sports where the town had the number one and number two pitcher in, the, uh, in all of baseball?
5: Not that I can remember. No. And it, it is fascinating to watch them go back and forth. And, and obviously now DeGrom is hurt. But the professionalism they showed, I would throw the, it's a different sport, obviously. But Julius Randall and what he has shown in his work ethic and professionalism and his commitment to being great. And I'm not necessarily putting him at the same level as those two guys in New York right now, but he's getting there. I, I think its it, it makes it a special time. I think DeGrom... Is when you look at his final numbers, whenever his career is over, if you if you didn't watch him pitch, you might look at those numbers and say, is this guy really a Hall of Famer? And yet I I see him as I'm not sure how many pitchers I've ever seen in a short window who've ever been better than this guy. And and I, I would say. Maybe the most impressive pitching performance I ever saw was Pedro Martinez in the 99 All Star game. What he did was. Oh, All those guys roared it up. Oh, baby. Exactly. That was incredible. Incredible.
2: Right. And how about that game? I wonder if you covered this one at Yankee Stadium against those Dynasty Yankees. He struck out 17 guys. I think he gave up one hit. It was a Chili Davis homer. And that was it. Like, you knew the Yankees were down two to one in that game with the way Pedro was humming. It's like. I don't care how good they are. They ain't touching this guy. That's how special he is.
5: Yeah, I watched it. I wasn't there, unfortunately, that night. And there were there were certain moments. And I think what the Yankee dynasty did against Pedro is they just tried to survive him. They tried to outlast him as opposed to trying to beat him. And it was interesting. I, I covered the game uh, against uh, Scherzer and uh that, that sort of reminded me of, of their approach to Pedro. Scherzer was unbelievable against the Yankees, and they just sort of hung in there, survived him, and then beat their bullpen after he was out of the game. And I think that's what they used to do against Martinez and the Red Sox. And to me, that was actually a good sign that the Yankees could win a game like that when Max Scherzer, who's a, a definite Hall of Famer, was at the very top of his game, and, and they just hung in there and waited uh, out the Nationals and ended up winning that game in, in extra innings, that they could do that and find a way actually reminded me of the championship Yankee teams. And so we'll see how that plays out. The special seasons I've seen in New York pitching, just uh, as a fan, watching Gooden in 85, of course, but growing up a Yankee fan, Gidry uh, that, that one year where he went, what, 25-3, and three, and it felt like he had to win all of those games uh, that that was a that was a pretty special one too. But I I don't know if I've ever seen in a short period of time a better pitcher than Jake Degrom, and and it'll be interesting to see where his numbers end up. But uh, I think that uh, if he has a couple two three more years like this, he's a definite Hall of Famer. Even if the numbers would suggest he
2: wouldn't be. Well, let's be honest. Even with the wins now, you take them and throw them out the window. Nobody values the the statistic anymore. It's a different world. It's a different
5: ball game. Right, he's going to be at the bottom of the wins pile when, when you look at the Hall of Fame pitchers and nobody cares anymore. I guess as a 56-year-old guy and looked at maybe as more of a traditionalist and an old schooler that a wins still matter a little bit to me, not as much as they used to.
2: But you don't penalize the ground for it. You That's know what correct. I mean? I mean, yeah. I get that
5: point because I agree.
2: Like, if you go seven innings and four runs and – You give up three in the first inning. I value the fact that you stayed in, you know, David Wells used to do that all the time and find a way to grind a victory out. But when you leave a game after eight innings and you're up like two to one and Diaz blows it or your team doesn't score runs. Like to me, the idea of penalizing a pitcher for that is like ridiculously unfair.
5: Agreed. Agreed. And so I I think that uh, what's left for him right now is basically winning a championship. And, I wrote a column not long ago where the Mets really need to build a team worthy of Jacob DeGrom. And, and that's where they are right now. I, I sort of went back to the old line from, I, I believe the president of the university of was it Oklahoma? I think it was Oklahoma who said we need to uh, build a university to make the football team proud. <laughs> I think that's where the Mets are. They've got to build a team and a program that makes Jacob DeGrom proud because he's at a, just a higher level than, than the, the rest of the operation. But I like Rojas. Uh, I just wrote a column about him. I like his temperament. I think it's right for New York long-term. And they have some interesting pieces there. And I think uh, they could win that division and, and get something started in New York. be nice to see the two teams in New York good for an extended period of time at the same time. So uh, we'll see how it plays out.
2: Tell me through your process as I sit and see your captain book that I read, that I loved, your Belichick book, which was a doozy, which was top-notch, summer-reading material a year ago, and you're a guy that has all of this sports, you know, memory, you know, experiences, all this stuff over the years, Ian, doing what you have done throughout your career. What takes you through, "Ah, I'm going to write a book about this or that. Like, what is your process, give or take?
5: You have to, John, you have to fall in love with the idea. You have to be really passionate about it. I tell... Young authors, or even first time authors, this all the time. It is so much work and a lot of it feels thankless along the way, but it is so rewarding when it's done in that book, that baby's in your arms. It it feels really good. And uh, you, but you have to be, don't do it for the money. I mean, if you really need the money, I guess do it. It don't hurt. (laughs) Exactly. But if I've really tried to stay away from that because at the end of the day, the amount of hours you put into it, it probably isn't worth it dollar for dollar but it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I'm now working on my fifth book on Coach K at Duke and and his iconic career. And it's talking to hundreds of people and finding out that Belichick was probably the most, not probably, it is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life professionally in, in large part because he didn't cooperate and he was trying to persuade others not to cooperate with me. And so he put a lot of, as you might, suspect he put a lot of obstacles in front of me and actually made me better it's
2: like you were Peyton Manning Ian you know instead of it being Peyton Manning it you was know, gonna be it you made
5: sense, I almost felt like one of his players not not one of his opposing players I felt like I was I was on the roster because that's what he tries to do to his players and to some degrees assistant coaches to make them better and he put all these obstacles in front of me and really a lot of people he he lobbied not to speak to me and not all of them listen to him, he doesn't know that. Uh, i certainly never gonna name anybody that I talked to not for attribution, but it, it made me better and, and it really did. And I, I almost thank him for that. Made me a better reporter, better storyteller. I had to dig and dig and dig some more and talk to 360 some odd people. And at the end of the day, I one thing I'm proud of is I have not heard from one of those 363 people Saying, hey, you got this wrong, or you misquoted me, or I said it this way, you reported it that way. And so, and I've talked to friends of Belichick. Belichick, of course, never said anything, uh, including uh, John Bon Jovi, who's been a friend of his for, what, 35, 40 years. And one thing that Bon Jovi said to me at the Super Bowl was, I just thought you were really fair to him. And he said, I love the book, but beyond that, just that there were maybe areas where you didn't have to be as fair to him as you were. And, and he said, I know other people who know Bill who feel the same way about it. And then, then he asked me, has Bill said anything to you? And I said, John, you've known him for 40 years. You really think Belichick's going to come up to me and say, hey, that was a good job you did on that unauthorized book? So I think he got a, a little kick out of that. But so I, I just look to be thorough, accurate, and defining, exhaustive, all those things. But man, it takes a lot out of you when you do a book. It really does. I wonder if it takes some years off the end of your life. I hope not. But. I wouldn't be surprised if it does.
2: Your sense with Belichick, you think now it's the idea of getting one because Tom got one in Tampa. Is it all about Shula and chasing down that win total? Like you wrote this book now, Ian, thinking about the twilight of his career, how much you think he has left in the tank?
5: I think he's going to coach another bunch of years, John. I really do. And, and starting with Brady, I had a conversation with Brady for ESPN Uh, a few years ago, where we were talking about him playing to age 47, 48, never mind 45, which was the, he had stated 45 as a target, but we were talking beyond that. I even said, is it possible you can play at 50 at some point? Are we going to see an NFL quarterback or somebody in the major sports of this generation push it, push the uh, limits of human achievement to age 49, 50? And he didn't rule it out. And now I'm not ruining it out either, Ian. Five years ago, I would have
2: called him crazy. I'm done with that now. I'm I mean, over that.
5: I, I wouldn't say 50, but I, and I said this uh, a year ago, and I, I think WEI.com or somebody picked it up, but it was, I said 48. I, and I think now 48 looks pretty good.
2: It's reasonable. And, I agree.
5: But Belichick, I think, is going to go another four or five years. He's going to go into his 70s. And Now, he initially said he wasn't going to pull a Marv Levy and coach into his 70s, but then he backed off that. So I think he absolutely feels now, particularly since Tom won one without him, that uh, it would be, does he does he need it for his legacy? Does he need it to go down as the greatest coach of all time? I'm not going to say that because he's won six. He also won two as a coordinator. So he may have that nailed down anyway without it, but boy, it would be nice. To answer all the people who said or pointed out, hey, Tom Brady won one without you. Let's look at your record without him. Yeah, you went 11 and 5 with Castle the year that Brady was out in 2008. But you look at your record in Cleveland, you look at your record with Bledsoe before Brady came in. Belichick was what, 5 and 13 in his first 18 games with Bledsoe? And so people start bringing that stuff up and, you know, deep down, not that Belichick would ever admit it for public consumption, but it has to bother him as a competitor. So if he has an opportunity now with the quarterback from Alabama, perhaps Cam Newton or that might be hard to see to make a real run at at a Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be a source of motivation. He just wouldn't admit on the record. But I think it's there.
2: Final one, and you told me this story the last time you were on my radio show, so you got to share it with the podcast audience because I found this so captivating. George Steinbrenner at the end, 2007. I will never forget this, Ian, because it was maybe after a couple too many cocktails. I'm waking (laughs) up, uh, and I hear the notification on the old Mike Francesa show. Ian O'Connor got the scoop. Tory's out if they lose to the Indians. You got this exclusive one-on-one interview, and in many ways, it was the final sit-down with George, who wasn't peak 70s or even late 90s, George, but it was still George with some flair and gave you some gusto. And you got that scoop by calling his hotel room, right? Is that how it went down? Or you were calling from the hotel room? What? All I know is there's a crazy way you found a way to get that scoop.
5: Yeah, JJ, it was, I I was done. I I had written a column, I believe, on Roger Clemens that day. It was the off day before game three of that Yankee-Cleveland series in 2007. And I I believe at the time I was working on my Arnie and Jack book and my wife hadn't seen me for months. So we had planned to go out to dinner that night. And I knew where George stayed, a number of baseball writers did and columnists, uh, where he stayed when he arrived in Manhattan and planned on going to a game. And I believe Murray Chass of the New York Times reported that Steinbrenner was actually going to attend game three. He had been to a home game in a long time. He hadn't given an interview in forever. He had gone sort of Howard Hughes, Greta Garbo-like. A lot of questions about his health and where he was, his, his mental capacity, frankly. And so, I don't know, something bugged me. I This would be like the only time he ever stayed in New York at that hotel, it was the Regency. And I didn't try to reach him. And it just bugged me. And I thought, before I go out to dinner, let me just call the hotel. I have no shot. They He had a personal operator. So you'd get the hotel operator who would then patch you through to his personal operator. And she would say, well, who is this? You explain who you are. And then she usually would say, hold on. And so the first time I called, she came back and said, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner is not available. I said, OK. And I, I was ready to leave and call it a night. And I don't know, 40 minutes later, I just said, well, before we go, let me just try one more time. Same thing, get the main operator at the hotel, get switched to his personal operator. Uh, She said, I explained who I am. She says, okay, Mr. O'Connor, hold on. And I was just ready to hang up, ready for her to come back and say, he's not available, he's not here, he's not taking calls. She comes back and she says, go ahead. Wow. Yeah. I mean, your
2: adrenaline must have been going through the roof at that point, Ian. I know you've
5: been doing this a long time at that point, but that's, yeah. that's a hell of a yeah. school. But I didn't know. I mean, what do you mean go ahead? And then I heard George's voice, and it's a very distinct voice. And I, I was like, I started scrambling. I think I, I don't know if I was in front of my computer. I grabbed a notepad and a pen. And So, uh, and, and he said he threatened to fire Joe Torre if they lost the series. He, he said some very interesting things about Jeter and A-Rod and about the the midges that attacked Java Chamberlain on the mound, and Joe should have pulled that team off the field. You remember that? Game two, the midges off Lake Erie.
2: Oh, don't remind me. That yeah. was a long night in Syracuse, New York, and after that game. Long so night I,
5: for you, as truly. That's right. When I when I talk to journalism students, I, I sometimes bring up that story. and said, listen, probably the biggest story I ever got was off a phone call I did not want to make. I was at the end of a long day, hadn't seen my wife in forever, going to dinner, and I made it. And actually, then made a second one, and it paid off. So, it when you work hard, when you grind, when you make the extra call, it you'll get places, and you'll get where you want to go. And I think that was an example for me of of that uh, unfolding the way it did.
2: Thanks so much for doing this. I can't wait to read the Coach K book. Guy, I, I don't know when that's coming out. What what we got a timetable on that? Ian? or Remember, is that
5: after the Super Bowl? Uh, so
2: basically, summer of two thousand and twenty-two. That'll be my summer reading
5: is what you're telling me. <laughs> hey, for me, I hope Duke has won a sixth national title for Coach K. That'll help the book. And That will. The only
2: thing that would be better, I root for your success with the book, but maybe Syracuse knocking them off along the way. Well, my son is a
5: Syracuse grad. I think you might know that. And uh, I don't know. They've lost a lot of uh, talent in the uh, portal, right? So I don't know where Syracuse is going to be uh, next year. They got a couple of guys coming in, but a few uh, talented uh, players went the wrong way through that portal. So I don't know where the orange are going to be at, at that point. When there's a will, there's a way
2: with Jimmy B. That's what I've learned, Ian. Listen, keep up the good work, man. We're reading in the post. You're welcome anytime, man. You just give me a ring, bro.
5: Anytime, all hey, right? Hey, congratulations and everything, John. It's my pleasure. That's the great Ian O'Connor,
2: jam Pack show. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network.
4: This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725. twenty-five. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax. Participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved.
2: Let's welcome in a guy from one of my favorite television shows that I would normally watch when I was like sleep deprived, working the old overnight gig, and I'd like throw them on in the morning. And now they're in football season. They like greet me every day. The great Kyle Brandt makes his New York, New York debut. Ringer team member.
6: Good morning, football. What's happening, bro? JJ, I'm thrilled to be on now that you've joined the team. And I'm not talking about the Ringer Spotify team. I'm thrilled that you're finally on Cameo. I feel like you've really... Oh, arrived. I made it. Kyle, you're here. research. Did What's the homework? price? What are we running at now?
2: Well, I did about <laughs> five videos today where I made a fool of myself. I think, you know, you've seen Saturday Night Fever when Travolta... <laughs> Does the Al Pacino Oh, Yeah. (laughs) Somebody had asked me to give them their favorite Al Pacino movie, not named Godfather or Scarface. So Kyle, obviously I'm going to bring that up
6: before I do it, you know? Right to the bank, dude. Easiest money ever made. God bless you. I will let you know how it goes, and I will (laughs) let you know if it can help in any way of paying
2: (laughs) for my real estate and my wedding and the 10 zillion things we have going on. But dude, listen... How long have you been doing this Good Morning Football show? Is it two years, three years, four years? I lose track of time, to be honest with you.
6: JJ, we started in July of 2016. It's almost wow. five years. You know the It's been that thing long is? already. Five Holy years. We're like 1,100 episodes. And they get us together and they say, hey, we're going to have these four friends and they're going to have fun. And this football show is going to be fun and about positivity and fun, fun, fun. Seven weeks or seven days into our first run. Like we're a week in. Colin Kaepernick takes a knee, takes over the entire network, the entire league. And our big fun show with our pop culture and everything is talking about personal freedoms and the military. And somehow we survived. We're still here five years later.
2: Um, when was the moment for you in doing the show? Was it immediately right out of the gate? Was it a year in? Was it a couple of years in where you
6: saying to yourself, wow, we're a part of something really special? OK, thank you for asking. And for me, it was the, I was the last of the four for sure. Because if you've seen Good Morning Football, you got the archetypes. You have the ex-player, Nate Burleson, the hashtag insider, Peter Schrager. You got this this very strong female anchor in Kay Adams. And then you're like, who is that other guy who keeps screaming at him? What the hell does he do? He wasn't in the league. He doesn't have sources. Uh, Why is he there? And I was asking myself the same question. I think my bosses were too for a few months. And um, you know the time there was a ridiculous moment where it crystallized and I found a home and we came together as a crew. Do you remember... 2016, when the Cam Newton fashion thing was happening, he was yeah spotted was he wearing rocking a-
2: like the uh, man with the yellow hat, Curious yeah.
6: George look? Yeah, he yeah, was wearing yeah, yeah, that, yeah. and he was wearing a romper, which was basically shorts meeting into overalls. And the crew got us some rompers, and Nate and Peter and I did a romper fashion show. And that was when I was like, all right, I don't know if the show's good, but it's different. And right now, all you need to be is different, and I fit right in.
2: I'm home. <laughs> uh yeah. have
6: you enjoyed now?
2: You know, you think about football, dude, and maybe this was the case when I was a kid, but it's, like, even more so now. Dude, I'm getting all geeked out for the schedule release. I like, I, I I, was, bro. I was di- I Maybe it's because I haven't traveled in a year plus, and I'm thinking about my Miami flight and the Giant game being at the right time of the year, not during, like, Yankees playoffs or whatever, but did you ever think the NFL would turn in this, like, 24-7,
6: 365, like, crazy insanity because dude that's what it is it's amazing we listen we're like a year away from people doing mock schedules and just saying like i got dolphins jets in week 16 1.0 and then i'm going to move into week 15 it's that big and the schedule release is like um so they lay out this incredible spread of food and there's there's uh you know meats and cheeses and there's pasta and there's pizza and you can't eat it yet but like you can smell it and you can pick at it and you can kind of plan what you are going to eat. And that's sometimes even better than the eating. It's so great, dude. We were talking, we tied in the Yankees this morning. We were talking about, um, you know, e strength of schedule to start the season and all those nuances everybody's breaking down. And Burleson was saying something about um, who's going to be uh, Mr. September, like who's going to start the season strong. And then we started saying like, Mr. September is really a backhanded compliment. And then we were laughing about how, wasn't there a time when Alex Rodriguez was referred to as a Mayrod? I think that was his nickname for a while. So we started talking about Mayrod, Mr. April, and all because of the NFL schedule. That's the power of it.
2: Okay, Kyle.
6: So, what in your
2: eyes at this point has been the most fun pop culture NFL story to follow here this offseason? Is there one?
6: All right, well, let's think
2: about that. Um, Is it Brady bombed after the Super Bowl? Because that was awesome.
6: I loved every minute minute of that. Yeah, because it it was like, this is this person that none of us relate to in any sense whatsoever with the Brazilian supermodel wife and the beautiful family and the beautiful face and all that. And then all of a sudden, in one second, we're like, I know that guy. I can relate to that drunk asshole. That's me. And that was like his most humanizing moment in 21 years. I know he's a great teammate and all that. But when he was being escorted out, it was that grip that his teammate had on him. It was like a wrist elbow grip. I've had that grip on me. I've put that grip on people. I think that was him. I don't know if it was pop culture, <laughs> pop the corner. No, maybe, Brady, but kinda, yes. Brady kinda Brady kind of transcends in many ways, you know? He does. Like he's one of those
2: guys now where he has gone above and beyond just being, you know, the GOAT and the best yes. football player of all time. He's the dude. He's Giselle. He's the brand. it's, it's TB12. And dude, he looks better now. Than he did when he was a rookie. What, what's I going know. on there? What's the secret, dude? What's the secret? You guys got to find out for me, okay? Well, listen,
6: he, he, he eats really well. And like, there's there's a lot of theories about checks that he writes to look really good that I, I haven't gotten to yet. But if I had his means, I would do it myself. Maybe it's not all natural. Maybe there's something more than TB12. I don't know. But he does look damn good. I think we'd remiss, JJ, if we're talking about pop culture in the NFL. Um, I'm sitting on my couch about six weeks ago. Just watching Aaron Rodgers like clean house in Jeopardy. Like, how would you grade his
2: Jeopardy years. performance? What would you give him as trying to fill the shoes for Trebek? B plus, A
6: minus. I mean, he he. I would give him. I would say Chicago Bears. What he does to the Bears is what he did to that podium. Like, he, a, a, a totally inexperienced as a game show host in a very difficult show to host with a rhythm and a cadence and a gravitas. I thought he was excellent. Like, really, really that good. Did, you? Did not. I no, I thought he was terrific. Not. No,
2: no, no. I didn't know what your standard might be. And I also no, now, I wonder,
6: do you think that is Aaron Rodgers' future post football? <laughs> um, post football, maybe, but not like next year. Um, everyone's, it's a really fun theory to think that, hey, screw the Packers. He's got a great job already, millions of dollars to play to host Jeopardy. He, they got no leverage. First of all, I don't know if he's getting that gig. Like, I think that, here, I'll say this, JJ. I think some, you and me watching Aaron Rodgers host that show is very different experience than a lot of the country. Like we have get a different that. relationship with Rodgers just be like, oh, it's Rodgers. A lot of people don't know who he is and don't care who he is. And then even worse than that, some people are like, get this jock off my screen and give me an intellectual. Like, there was a lot of anti, even though you and I maybe were more consumed with the positive just because we're in sports. So I don't know think it's a, it's a lock he's going to get that gig. And even if he does, he is on record. He's like, I, I want to do both. I want to be the Bo Jackson of right now where I'm doing football and Jeopardy. Those are my two sports. So he's not retiring at all. Good feel. Is he the Packers starting quarterback week one? I think he is. I can't see him playing somewhere else.
2: This year, Kyle, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Why not? Tell me why. I want. I, wanna I just don't. Side. I. I because I think at the end of the day, the sides play nice. Now you tell me, long term, there's a divorce. I believe it. At this point in time, it's what May the 13th. A couple of days away from my birthday, might I add. Oh, nice. I, yeah, 33. Getting old, man. Chisel vet, bro. Chisel vet. <laughs> that's why <all> those crazy <laughs> coming in. I, I Kyle. At this point, dude, I just can't envision the Packers where they're out as a franchise, even with the love looming yeah. specter looming over the franchise being in a position where Aaron Rodgers and the Packers can't find a little, uh, play nice
6: factor it's at least insane, in September. Right? I it can't doesn't make it. any sense. And yet here, here's where I come out. JJ, here's where I come out. Um, so he, this, here's the eerie thing. Bart Starr was with the Packers for 16 years. Brett Favre was with the Packers for 16 years. Rogers been with the Packers for 16 years. I like to the eerie. Okay. okay? And, Let's play this out. Let's say he's really dug in, which I personally believe like he has really strong convictions in this. I don't care about any of those mini camps, OTAs. He'll go right through those fines. Doesn't give a shit. He's got all the money in the world. It gets to August. He's not showing up. It's ugly. It's toxic. It's an absolutely horrible situation for a really like family-run kind of company. And the phone rings to the Packers, and they get the stupidest, most ludicrous King's Ransom offer from who oh knows, Denver, Carolina, somebody, like a million picks and players will set up your whole future for a guy who swears he's not going to play for you anymore. I think you take it. And you say, too bad, we're not the we're the Packers. We don't fire GMs. We don't negotiate with people like you. I think you take it. And I, if I know Rodgers like I think I do, and I know him a little bit, this is not a joke. This is not, oh, Russell Wilson's going to get traded from the Seahawks. No, this is dead serious. And uh, I, to answer your question, I do not think he'll be the Packers quarterback week one. So he's in Denver or Vegas. I would love Vegas because it means they finally give up on Derek Carr, and I'm so sick of following the Derek Carr story. They're These never nice winning big with Derek Carr as a right? quarterback. I agree
2: with that. I mean, you know, what we
6: talked about with the Raiders today. The biggest story with the Raiders right now is they're putting in a nightclub. The win nightclub. I want to be there week three. You That's got great. Goal, You got connections. Get me in there. Make Let's go. I'll we- be dancing. All right, so what week is it that they're going to have a wild card game in that stadium? Or or even anything that matters whatsoever? Um, I,
2: I think maybe when I'm at the Wynn or at the uh, Cosmo. I think that's the only wild card weekend you're getting in Vegas.
6: Maybe so. Year. Not for the Raiders. Maybe that's the only win they have in the stadium, too. They can't even spell it right. I, it's great. You're getting a nightclub. Can you have a decent product on the field, you guys? Come on. And I don't think it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. I just – I think, I think Denver – and, you know, maybe somebody crazy like David Tepper, the new owner in Carolina, is very aggressive and a little wild and they don't have a great quarterback. I always think they're a dark horse.
2: You buying the resurgence now with the Jets. I love your sweater, by the way. I love Thank that you. you dressed the part for New York, New York. New head coach, new quarterback. Quarterback. You watch the OC, by the way, Kyle. Sure, of course. You know, don't, don't you nobody remember, falls in love in the OC. I mean, we're rewatching it right now. It's <laughs> stellar television. Yeah. Luke from the OC has a little Zach Wilson in him. You see that? Yes,
6: you it's do. A, All right, absolutely. so I'm not on like
2: a crazy wave. No, no, no,
6: Zach Wilson looks like um, Crest White Strips model meets the Disney Channel versus the OC. He's very wholesome. He's a beautiful boy, and I'll call him that because he looks like he's 16. And listen, I like the Jets right now. Um, and I got my head bitten off recently because I said. Oh, what are the expectations? The expectations are they should they should squeak in the playoffs this year. And people lost their minds. Here's the thing. So first year head coach, and dude, not just a first year head coach, like the first time head coach is different. Like this never been a head coach ever in Salah. So I'm like, all right, is that crazy? I looked it up. Over the past 10 years, how many first-time-ever head coaches have made the playoffs in Season 1? McDermott did it in Buffalo. Yes. Adam Gage did it with the Adam Miami Gaze Dolphins. did it with the Dolphins. Dude, the list is long, like really long. And there's not like a row of killers either. It's like Mike McCoy on the Chargers, who I barely remember. Obviously, Rex did it with the – like there are guys – Mangini. Who done it. Mangini did it with Mangini, the Jets. Mangini, no big deal. And there's guys who've done it with rookie quarterbacks. So – I love Salah. This is not your your, your generic uh, Kirkland brand new head coach. This is like a celebrity one we've been tracking for years. They're like they, This is the prom king. I believe in him. And look, I, I don't know about Wilson. If, if Wilson can sling it, sure, I guess. I liked uh, Justin Fields better than Wilson in the draft, but they took him. If he can play, who cares? Let's take a run at this thing. I like Salah. Giants, Washington. Dallas, you're ranking these
2: teams right now as we get ready for training camp a month, month month, a half away. I like Washington, personally. I think they're terrific on D. They got the old man at quarterback who's yeah. going to be slinging it. They have some weapons to work with. Am I crazy to say that Washington might be the Vegas fan? I know they won't be because everybody drools the Cowboys. Yeah. I might throw a couple of shekels down, Kyle, on
6: Washington win this division. It's, see, this is why I like you, JJ. I like Washington. And it's nice. not popular. And it's easy to say, oh, Dallas and Dak and Zeke. I still don't know if the Dallas Cowboys don't pee down their legs. I still don't know if they can stop anybody. I have no idea. I know Washington is killers on defense, like proven. I don't really believe in Dallas. And and I'll tell you this, though. Washington, Dallas slightly behind, then a huge drop until the Giants. I'm sorry. So you think there's a big gap between Washington, Dallas, and the Giants being the third team in the NFC East? Yeah, I do. And is that because of the quarterback? A hundred percent. Dude. I, I was talking about this today. They have so many players around him now, and he's in his third year, and it's we got uh, put up and shut up time. Why, it's it. like, dude, you have the most beautiful kitchen I've ever seen. Can you cook at all? Like, can you whip anything together? Because if you're average, you guys are going to be fine. I don't know if he's going to be. If you look side by side, since they came in the league in the same draft, Daniel Jones is significantly inferior to Gardner Minshew, who was drafted about 200 picks after him. It's like, They went for it, all right? But if he can't do it now, get out. There's no 50-year extension. The Giants have a whole bunch of draft picks, and they got more when they traded back in the draft. They will draft a quarterback next year if Daniel Jones doesn't get into the playoffs, and they should. I'll admit this to
2: you because you're my dude. Go on. A year ago, I was banging the table, yelling and screaming, the Dolphins cannot take Justin Herbert. The Dolphins have to take Tua. And listen, after one year... Herbert looks like the goods, the stud. I mean, the guy can do everything. He can make every throw. He's crazy mobile. That said, though, Kyle, Mm -hmm. I'm not ready to lose hope on my dude, Tua. I love the (laughs) speed they put around him. I think he's another year removed from the injury. And listen, where they're at as a franchise, the second year for him, in many ways, might be put up or shut up, because if not, they might go and get a veteran. Who knows? Watson, your boy Rogers. who knows? Do you expect a
6: much better year out of Tua? All right, so Tua is is a really good person and a really good athlete. I don't know if he's a bad mother. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I get that. I, I, I don't I, I don't like a guy getting pulled out of a game twice by his head coach who drafted him in big moments and replaced by Ryan Fitzpatrick twice. Weird
2: situation, though, right? Weird situation. Which? Not a lot of teams are going to have 37, 38-year-old Fitzpatrick. And
6: not a lot of rookie teams with quarterbacks are going to be competing for a playoff spot. Doesn't no, happen for sure. that often. But like, okay, so the schedule drops. And you look at the Dolphins' schedule. Like, early on, they're playing the Raiders again. Same stadium where he was pulled and Fitzpatrick was a hero. Let's see how he responds back in that same ground. Playing, playing Buffalo, playing Tampa, where he yeah, stuck up the Buffalo. joint week 17, yeah. Buffalo's excellent. They're playing at Tampa. Like, when, so when Tua stands in, against that Bucks pass rush, and you get sacked six or seven times. Like, is he a guy who's going to scream and be a badass and, like, let's go and I'm going to beat Brady? Or is he – I don't know. Is he weak? I don't know. I, I have no idea what he's made of psychologically. I know he came back from the injury, and I respect it. But, like, I still don't see a killer. I don't. And I don't see any in two anymore than I see in Daniel Jones. Your podcast, which is a ton of
2: fun. Thank you. You're me. off the rails. And I like guys like that because it kind of fits my wavelength. Sure. Just throwing it out there. Who is the most entertaining, crazy, zany
6: conversation you've had in your months of doing this thing? <laughs> um, there's a lot. Listen, you know, when you do these things on Zoom and you know, okay, it's it's supposed to be at three o'clock and you're prepared, you got your mics on and everything. And there's that, that moment that the Zoom window opens up and you're oh, like, yeah. oh, here we go, here we go. And for me, when it opened up and it was McConaughey, I was like, oh, dude, oh this that's is a badass be so one. Cool. <laughs> that's because a badass one. I was nervous that like cuz I, I love McConaughey and he's sort of iconic and I was like, man, what if what if McConaughey is, is cocky or an ass or I don't like him from the get-go. He was just, "All right, let's do it, baby." Was and he, he was sipping so a bourbon cool. while he was doing the interview? Yes, I respect dude. that. Literally, he was there like talking about old Turkey uh, Wild Turkey. So we toasted on Zoom to Wild Turkey and here you would understand this as a guy who interviews guests all the time. McConaughey plays the hits. He's not saying, so, nice. no, don't ask me about Wolf of Wall Street. No, he's like, so here's the thing about Wolf of Wall Street. And he just goes and he'll do the chest bump and he'll talk about the naked bongos. It's, it's not like some of these guys were like, look, man, that movie was years ago. I'm here to promote. the." No, 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 no. McConaughey will play the hits and it's awesome. Well, it's like Van Morrison. He does his concert. He doesn't play Brown Eyed Girl.
2: Well, I mean, come on, you Van Morrison. You, I'm going to see you. you better fucking play Brown Eyed we Girl. We will walk oh, come out on.
6: On. on your ass, man Morrison. Hey, why don't we know? Uh, listen, I saw the um, the B52s once in concert, and I'm like, these guys better play Love Shack. Let me tell you something, JJ. They opened with Love Shack, and they closed with see, Love Shack. See, they know Shack. what's up. That's the way to do it. So, That's what amazing. is the what is the McConaughey role of choice for Kyle Brent? Well, I remember vividly when he exploded with *The Time to Kill*, and he's the southern lawyer, and it's Ashley Judd, and everybody's sweating, and it's free Carl Lee. Um, But I will tell you this: I'm going to give you a real, real deep cut. And listen, I love Wolf of Wall Street. I I love all the stuff he does. He was in a movie called *Rain of Fire*. Whoever's listening, if you don't know *Rain of Fire*, I have not seen it yet. Okay, early 2000s, but that's okay. You're gonna love it. Early 2000s, McConaughey jacked out of his mind on all sorts of creatine shaved head him and an equally young christian Bale, just beating the crap out of each other and fighting dragons with axes i'm telling you before all this game of thrones stuff you gotta see it mcconaughey Bale, axes dragons that's all you need you're the best thanks for a couple of minutes we'll be watching and i hope you're betting the dolphins over
2: nine and a half hey remember thank me later
6: for that jj may the course be with you
2: I like that. Look at Kyle Brandt reading my Zoom background. We got a lot more to do in New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network.
4: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
2: So I can see, folks, why that Good Morning Football show does as well as they do. They got some characters on that show. Burlson is terrific. I love Kay. Schrager brings the info. And Brent, I mean, he is a character. He fits right in here on New York, New York. Brought the heat. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've never had him on the show before. We're going to have to have that, you know, be a regular thing, hopefully, throughout the football season. Because that was uh, rather entertaining, to say the least. Speaking of entertaining, you guys always bring the fire with the voicemails. We've already kicked it off with a Vegas proposal. An offer that was impossible for me to refuse. you kidding me? Vegas? Dolphins, Raiders? Anthony and Syosset? I love it. Who else is on the horn?
0: John, you know who this is. Hicksville. Talking. How are you, my friend? Uh Let's get to it, Jasrimski, because you are a superstar now. The Knicks. John, I'm a bit stunned right now. So you mean to tell me in these past, what, since 2013, where you had that mellow year? In the past seven, eight years, you have, you're have you telling me that the head coach is the problem? Because it, it looks like that to me, John. I mean, you want to say well, the, the roster wasn't this, was misconstrued, this and that. But honestly, John... I think if Thibodeau was the coach these all these years, these past seven years, I think we would have been in the playoff a few times, John. I mean, this is, I mean, they're buying into the system, and I love this. Derrick Rose, John, what a career revitalization. My God. And, John, I'm telling you this right now, John. You give me one big free agent pickup that was as big as Julius Randle has been with the Knicks in the past couple of years. I mean, come on, John. We saw him at Kentucky. I mean – yeah, He was good. I mean, could we foresee this? He looks like he's a player he you can build around for a championship team. But here's the thing, John: Kibadel, Rose, you know, Randall. We gotta get. We gotta get into these players. We have to win a series, John. I don't care if it's Miami. I don't give a damn if it's Atlanta. Don't don't do this. We have to keep going. You gotta win one series, and from there, we're playing with house money. All right, John. Bye.
2: Jamal in Hicksville, always bringing the heat. I love hearing that voice, Jamal in Hicksville. And I say his name that way to pay tribute to Finding Forrester, which is one of my favorite all-time movies. Sean Connery, great scene at Yankee Stadium, Anna Paquin, F. Murray Abraham. Excellent, excellent film for anybody who has not seen it. And that is how Sean Connery would refer to Jamal as Jamal. I like it. So anytime I have the chance to do so, I don't miss that opportunity. You hit on something that's important. Coaching and culture for the Knicks has meant a world of difference. This is the innocent climb. Now, I beg to differ with you when it comes to winning a playoff series. I do not think it is something that is a necessity in order to like validate the success one way or another with this season. This season is a success. End of story. There's nothing else that needs to be said. They're well over 500. They've been incredibly well-coached. They play really hard. They've had a well of a season. They win in the first round, that's gravy, baby. That's the cherry on top of the sundae as far as I'm concerned. I'd love to see them win in the first round. That's why I don't want to play Miami or Milwaukee in the first round. I think their best chance, the Knicks, of winning a first-round series, and I don't care about, you guys are going to tell me, all oh, Trey Young and his size. No, it's an inexperienced Atlanta team. I don't want to play an experienced Miami team. Or Milwaukee where they got one of the five or six best players in the sport in Giannis. I'd rather not play that series in the first round. Second round, bring them on. Why the hell not? First round, I want to win. Nick's best chance of winning a first round series is against Atlanta. That is what I am rooting for for when we're sitting here having a conversation come Sunday. But no, I don't think winning a first round series is a must. Because the culture to me has been established. Tibbs and his front office and Randall, they're the culture. Who's up
3: next?
0: What's up, JJ? It's Lucas from Stanford. Just watched James Harden's return for the Nets on Wednesday night. And, man, he is far and away the most indispensable player on the roster. He comes back 18 points, 11 assists. It was like he never left. Absolutely incredible. The way that he orchestrates the offense, gets everybody involved. Nick Claxton is is useless
3: without James Harden. When James Harden's there, he looks like one of the most productive players on the court. When, he's, when James Harden's on the floor,
0: I honestly believe there's not a team in the NBA that can compete with this net team. Regardless of how few games Durant and Kyrie have played
2: with him, I'm just so confident that when Harden's out there, they are one of the
0: most dangerous teams in the league, and I, I'll put my mind in them over everybody.
2: I can understand that, because with those three guys humming on offense, they're going to be really, really tough to stop. And Harden and his help and what kind of player he is looking like off the injury has been a major question looming over the Nets. But he looked back to me. Durant and Irving, that chemistry, are they going to be able to find it right out of the gate? Is the first round going to be a feeling out process? It might be. But you know what? It's a good time to have a feeling out process because you're going to play some peasant team if they're a seven or an eight seed. If it's Indiana or Charlotte or Boston. Those teams stink right now. I know the Wizards have played well. They're not beating the Nets. Let's be serious. They're not beating the Nets. Finding that chemistry, finding your rhythm, and being able to play D, that's going to determine whether or not they win a championship. They're a team that wins a whole lot of games with that pizzazz and star power when they're out there. But it ain't about winning games and making the playoffs for Brooklyn. It's championship or bust. Who's up next?
3: JJ, it's Pete in Westchester. Look, man, Knicks back in the playoffs. How Knicks is it to get better, be in the playoffs in the middle of a pandemic, bro? Can't even fill the garden in the maximum capacity. You can't make it up. But anyway, we're back. We're ready. And I just wanted to make one comment. You know, when the Knicks fired David Fizdale, a lot of folks, myself included to a degree, were giving the Knicks a hard time. Okay, how did they fire Fiz? This guy's a great basketball mind. Where's David Fizdale? He's nowhere to be seen in the league. The Knicks are held to a ridiculously high standard. So all you Nets fans, shut the fuck up. You're not where near in our stratosphere in terms of media hype. We are criticized, blasted in the media for every little thing we do, regardless of what the final outcome would be. I'm fucking fired up about this, man. You know, really. So listen, it's great to be back in the playoffs, middle of COVID. Of course, so Knicks. But, hey, we're back. We're going to make some fucking noise. in Brooklyn, that's fucking right. We're the number one team. I don't care if you win three championships in a row. No one's going to give a shit. Thank you, brother. Talk soon.
2: Pete, fired up. I love the passion. I love the energy. Um, here's why people gave the Knicks a hard time after Fisdell got fired. Because it was the cycle. It was new coach, new front office, same old shit, same old Knicks. That was my thought. I wanted Thibodeau in the worst way. See, I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one because I was banging the drum doing radio last summer. Hire Tom Thibodeau. I wanted Tom Thibodeau or Jeff Van Gundy because I wanted a part of the old Nick way back within the organization. And I knew Tibbs wasn't going to be a guy that was accepting of losing. I didn't foresee this happening, though. In year one, no chance. They have a winning sort of way about them. They give a shit. They play hard every night. They've taken on the personality of New York City. And I know you mentioned that you haven't had Madison Square Garden packed to the max. I hope that place is a lot more full in about a week and a half. And it is rocking like crazy. I hope I'm there. We are gonna have to try to orchestrate that. So if you know a guy, let me know. I'm looking. Let me know. Who's up next?
3: Hey, JJ, Sean
0: from Jersey. Uh, just curious what you think about the possibilities of Talon Horton Tucker as a Nick. Chicago guy, team guy, effort guy. Seems like he would be a fit with Tibbs, clutch, and, uh, and he passes the ball. He's, you know, he's, he's a guy that isn't one-dimensional, has a high assist percentage. Um, seems like something you could get without having to break the bank for him and that you would uh, be able to segue him in uh, with the guys we already have. What do you think about THT uh, on the Knicks after seeing him drop that dagger on us the other night? Thanks, bro.
2: Appreciate the call. You know, Horton Tucker killed the Knicks, what was it, on Tuesday evening? I have not seen enough of him, though, for me to say definitively, I want him as a Nick long-term. And I'm going to watch him probably a ton in the postseason. We'll see what kind of role he ends up having on the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, he played really well the other night. I need to see more. I can't give you a fair and thorough assessment. And I know we can be prisoners of the postseason. And unfortunately, sometimes guys make way too much money because they get hot for a couple of weeks and they fleece a team. So I know I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but I haven't seen enough of Horton Tucker to tell you, oh, I definitely want him on the Knicks. To me, he's a nice piece. He's not the sort of foundational type of guard that I, for one at least, am looking for. Who's on the horn next?
3: Hey, JJ, Toronto, Long Island. Thanks so much for taking the call. Listen, as the Mets continue to be very bizarrely holding water here before Carrasco and Syndergaard get back, just want to say equipment and shout-out Gary Samilia. You know, I got a feeling his legacy in New York is going to be 2015 World Series, 2016 wildcard game, all kinds of failures on and off the field. But listen, this season he's dealt with a lot in terms of the fans. He's really been a superstar this year. Just want to give a quick shout-out. A very weird year. Therese listen, the fan base appreciates you. You had a great start. I fully believe in the Francesa uh, Mush. So I'm sure after I record this, he's going to give up, you know, 10 runs the next outing. But Therese, we love you. Quick shout out. Let's go Mets, baby.
2: I think you bring up a very fair point with Familia. He takes a lot of heat and takes a whole lot of crap from Mets fans. And I think maybe the wild card homer against the Giants comes to mind Some are going to blame the quick pitch in game one of the 2015 World Series on Familia. But you got to understand something. Relievers are very fickle. And when you think about that World Series run in 2015, know this. The Mets don't get to the World Series if it wasn't for Familia and his brilliance in the series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, including a winner-take-all game five. In addition, familiar with money against the Cubs when you got to the World Series. He's a flawed reliever. So far this year, it's been great. The entire Met bullpen, for that matter, has been great. Trevor May's done a good job. Loop has done a good job. Diaz in the ninth inning has held down the fort. The Mets and the Yankees are similar from this standpoint. They have rided the ship. The Yankees were in a bigger hole than the Mets. The Mets right now are rolling. They've won seven games in a row. They're first place in the NL East. They got a nice cushion on the Braves and on the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Yankees are right there with Boston. Even after Boston's hot start and the Yankees' miserable start. Neither team has hit. The Yankees have not hit. The Mets have not hit. Why are they finding ways to win? Pitching, pitching, and yes, more pitching. That's why these baseball teams are kind of where they're at a month plus into this year. Two to go. Who's up next?
3: JJ, what up? It's Brian from Jersey. Yo, I want to talk about the Giants, man. That's my team right there. Giants Joe Judge on potential NFL schedule leak said, he doesn't give a shit, and the only thing leaking will be pissed down the legs of his enemies. This is the shit I love to see. Can you just tell me about how this makes you feel? And just tell me, oh, is this going to be a special Giants season? Now, look, I'm not getting my hopes up, right? But is it, you know, are we going to make noise in the playoffs? Is there a potential for that? I, I think these guys buy into this guy. I love Joe Judge. Fucking love him. All right, bye.
2: I love the Joe Judge mentality. I think the biggest question going into the year is not about the head coach. It's not about the team's defense. It's about the quarterback. Kyle Brandt told you a few minutes ago. Skeptical. Skeptical on Daniel Jones. It's make or break time for this quarterback. That'll determine if the Giants can be a playoff team this year. They've put pieces around this quarterback. They're getting Barkley back. The defense was solid last year, and they're going to be well coached. Can this quarterback take the next step? Last, but most certainly not least, who's on the horn?
3: What up, JJ? It's Tyler from Syracuse. A lot of good New York sports to talk about. But I wanted to talk a little golf with you. Next week, PGA Championship. What are your thoughts? Who you liking in terms of the betting? Can Colin Morikawa repeat?
2: Or will it be someone else? That's just one of your thoughts. Thanks and keep up the great work. You know, Tyler, I got to be honest, dude. I have not given a look-see to the leaderboard per se. I should say the odds board if we're being technical. When it comes to next weekend's PGA Championship. Um... I like what I've seen from Rory McIlroy as of late. And I keep waiting for Rory to break through once again in one of these majors. And I'm not a Rory guy. I think anybody who is listening to this podcast knows I'm not a Rory guy. But I see him win a tournament. I see his game rounding in the form. So I might take a stab at Rory here next week. I reserve the right to change my mind. But that's kind of my initial lean. And I'm going to give you another guy that I like. Cantlay. Cantlay in one of these majors is going to break through. He's just too talented a player. He's been knocking at the door. He's been in contention in a few of them. Not in the Masters. A lot of people all over Can'tley at the Masters, and he fell flat on his face. Now I think you might get a little more value with him. So I'll have a better idea. I promise you by Tuesday I will have plays. I'll start diving into the odds and how they're shifting and how they're moving come Sunday. But yeah, believe it or not, next week, PGA Championship. In addition to the NHL playoffs and all the baseball we got going on, wild times. Coming up next, we'll set the stage for, yes, the Stanley Cup playoffs with the master of the beaks, Mr. Hockey himself, Mike Carver, Sports Grid. He'll join us right after this. To help me handicap the NHL playoffs, I gotta welcome in one of my good, dearest friends, my golf buddy. My old pal from my old gig at Radio. And now he's a superstar over at Sports Grid. He's doing the ILC pod. He's Mr. Hockey himself. The great Carver High, Mike Carver, makes his New
1: York, New York debut. What up, Carver? JJ, good to be back with you again and for the first time at your new venture. And congratulations to you, my man. You're killing it with New York, New York. It's outstanding. You're doing an unbelievable job. And it's about time. You got some pucks in the mix here, baby. It is playoff time. Let's do it, brother. And if I'm doing playoff hockey, you know the deal, bro. I sound the
2: alarm. We get it going. And you're ready to rock and roll. So for anybody who is unaware, Mike does the best Islander podcast you're going to find on the internet. That's number one. Number two, he's always a guy that I call this time of the year when I'm trying to figure out who to get invested in to have some fun over the next couple weeks. All right, Mike, let's start with your team right out of the gate. Islanders now are a battle-tested playoff team the last two years. Obviously, this year has been very uneven in a whole lot of ways. Where do you stand right now in your confidence level and how you feel about them as they're getting ready for this first round series?
1: Yeah, Johnny, you know, this is, it has been a weird year. Kind of like with everything else, right? I mean, you look at every sport, it's been strange. 56 games. You only played in your division. You played every team eight times. So the Islanders and the Penguins, they've seen each other a bunch. Penguins beat them six out of the eight games. Now, these were not routes. Uh, These were very close games. A bunch of those games, the Islanders had leads in the third period, and they blew them. Uh, A couple games where the Islanders outplayed the Penguins, and things just did not go their way, and they ended up losing the game. And you're right about battle-tested. Over the past two years, since Barry Trotz and Lula Amarillo have gotten here, the Islanders have gotten to the second round at least in both of those years. Two years ago, they swept the Penguins in the first round, lost in the second. Last year, in the bubble, they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. So the Islanders, you're right, uh, they have built up uh, a little bit of credit here as far as the playoffs go with Barry Trotz. I got to tell you though, JJ, I don't feel great at the start of this playoff series. I don't like how the Islanders, they kind of coasted into this thing to be quite frank. um, They, they really just took off the last two or three weeks of the season. Now, maybe Barry Trotz didn't care about home ice. Maybe Barry Trotz, once they lost, they, they had a stretch where they played the Capitals three times in a row and they were still in the mix to win the division and they lost all three games. And I think after that, Barry kind of put it in the tank and said, I'm going to ramp down, get my guys ready, and hope to ramp it back up when the money gets on the table and it's playoff time. And now we're here, JJ, and we talk about this in all sports. Can you just turn it on and go when you get to the playoffs? And it feels like that's what Barry Trotz and the Islanders are going to try and do here against the Penguins in round number one.
2: I'm looking at the number right now. Penguins minus 156, the Islanders at plus 128. Islanders are winning this series. Mike, what needs to happen?
1: For the Islanders to win this series, they need to do what they did two years ago to the Penguins, which is their top defensive unit, which is Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak. They have to shut down the Sidney Crosby line. They did it two years ago in the sweep, uh, which they never do. Crosby destroys the Islanders. He destroys everybody, let's be fair. But he really picks on the Isles. And for the first time ever two years ago, they shut him down. And what else did they do in that series? They frustrated Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and basically by game 3 those guys didn't want to play anymore. Now, here's here's what scares me, JJ. The Penguins have lost in the two in the first round two years in a row now. Two years ago to the Isles, swept. Last year in the bubble as the 4 seed, lose to Montreal who was the last seed, the 5 seed I should say. They were the last seed in the entire thing and they lose to Montreal in the first round of the bubble. That scares me. Mike Sullivan, Crosby, Malkin, all these guys, they've won cups. They've been out, bounced a couple years now. Sullivan knows his job is probably on the line. He goes out in the first round three years in a row, JJ. Penguins are making changes. They've already changed the GM. They've already changed the president. The coach is next if they don't get it done here. So that worries me. Islanders have a big edge in goaltending. Semyon Varlamov has been outstanding. They play the defensive structure. The Penguins goalies have no playoff experience. Jerry and DeSmith both have not done it in the playoffs. So that is, a, is something to consider here as well. I think that the Penguins should be favorite, JJ. But I you think, think this too-
2: line is fair. It's one fifty six. I think it's I'm too big. Too big. That's what I'm thinking. I'm looking at this line, Mike, and this is like paying the tax. You know what I mean? It's like the Crosby right. tax, yes. the LeBron tax, the Yankees and tax. This looks like a
1: tax here in this series. And not only that, the Islanders always get disrespected at the books. I mean, it's just it is what it is. And, and I'm I'm not saying that as an Islander fan or as somebody who watches the team all the time. You look at where they're usually put in terms of Stanley Cup odds, Eastern Conference hey, odds. Hey, bro, last year we cleaned up on the we Islanders did. in the bubble. We, we cleaned up. We did up. great. But even after they went to the East Finals at the start of this season, you were getting the Islanders at 26-1, to 28-1 to, to win the Cup. I mean, the team was just one of the last four teams left. So the Islanders always get a little bit disrespect. And because they're coming into the playoffs on fumes here and not scoring any goals, they're going to get disrespect again. JJ, this was the toughest division in all of hockey this year. The the gap between 1st and 4th in the East is the smallest of any of these divisions. These two battles, Isles-Pens, Caps-Bruins, they are razor-thin coin flips in both series. And I think you are getting a little bit of value with what you're getting on the Islanders right now. I mean, geez, JJ, it's gone up too in the last 24 hours. You're getting plus one twenty eight now. It was plus one fifteen or plus one seventeen yesterday. That so means people, a lot of public people, money coming oh out yeah. of the Penguins. Public is hammering Pittsburgh here, and rightfully so because of the Crosby factor that you alluded to before. Islanders alive here. I don't there's a couple things I don't like about them going into this series, but but the track record they've had the last two years, they are worth a gamble, especially at plus one twenty eight to win this series. And they are going to be dogs in, in, in these two games, these first two games coming up. Now, here's another thing, J.J., when we get to the Coliseum, the Penguins never play well there. They get rattled at, at the barn. When the Penguins come to the Coliseum, they get rattled. They haven't in, in every playoff series in the past. It's not a good building for them, and it's the last year, of course, that they're playing there before the Islanders move into the brand-spanking-new building at Belmont in October. So that's going to factor too but not having that home ice could be a key factor. I think this is going 7-JJ. All right, so
2: you would bet 7 games right now Mike. I'm seeing it at plus 200 on the yes. FanDuel site. You like it. I that. like it.
1: I like the I like the series to go 7 at plus 200. In fact, that's probably the way because this series is so close to me, JJ. If I if I was not an Islander fan, and obviously listen, we're gonna splash the Isles here at plus one twenty eight. I'm I mean, already on it. It's I gonna mean, happen. I'm already ahead not, of you. Not, I'm not already honestly, on. we're we're already kind of a little invested in the Isles. We have Isles preseason twenty eight to one. We've got uh, we double dipped at fifteen or sixteen to one midway through the year. I, I don't. Ex- they could get to the final four, and that's where JJ. We need these teams to get. That we bet on preseason. We need him into the final four. We because we can hedge the shit out of it. That's when we hedge it. Yeah. That's when we get our slice, is getting out of their divisions. And the Islanders can do that here in the East. These four teams are close. Islanders need to play their style. The magic number's three, JJ. When they score three goals under Barry Trotz, they win. And if they could just find some goals, and on the power play, too. Their power play stinks. The, uh, the Penguin power play is very good, but the Islanders' penalty kill, excellent. Penguin penalty kill, awful. Islander power play, usually never good, but there's an opportunity there with a bad penguin penalty kill. Islanders have to find a way to get goals from Barzell. They need the bubble. Anthony Beauvillier and Brock Nelson, they were so good in the bubble. They need to show up again. And the kid, Oliver Wallstrom, rookie for the Islanders, scored a lot of big goals this year, has a killer shot on the power play. Islanders need him to get in the mix too.
2: Okay, my friend, Washington and Boston – is a very sexy series. It, it is. is a series that's going to get a whole lot of national attention. I'm sure. I haven't looked at the NBC breakdown yet. I would bet yeah. that series has a whole lot of NBC games. All I right. mean, I'm not going out of much of a limb by
1: saying that. They're the first one Saturday night after the Preakness. Game right. one. bruins right. the big boy game for the NHL. <laughs> right you out, right out of the Preakness into the Stanley Cup playoffs. The there NHL's going to have
2: to wait until Turner and the ABC and ESPN can take yep. that turn. But this series price, Mike, at 138. Do you think it's spot on? Do you think it's a little too low? I feel like in some ways the Capitals, considering their pedigree, it's weird seeing them as plus money, but yeah. against the Boston team that's in the playoffs every year, I guess I can understand that. Where do you stand on this series, price?
1: Very close series, but I think that Boston has been the team pushing right now towards the end of, of the season. Boston really was bad for the first two-thirds of this season. Uh, you know, they were kind of sitting in the fourth slot, and if the Islanders didn't, completely stopped playing the last two or three weeks, they probably would have been the four seed here. But their game has improved since they got Taylor Hall, and they've gotten healthy. They've gotten all their goaltenders back. They've gotten a bunch of their key role players back. Bruins are peaking at the right time, JJ, and here's a problem for the Caps. Their goaltending, like the Penguins in the playoffs, extremely unproven. Uh, you've got a bunch of guys here, Samsonov, and the other kid, Varacek, just no good. Uh, and Ovi Hurt. Finally played on Tuesday night, their last regular season game. He had missed four or five games before that. Oshi has been banged up. So I'm factoring in the capital health and the spotty goaltending, JJ, and I'm gonna give you this one. Bruins minus a game and a half. So to at, end this
2: baby in six or less, okay. At
1: plus one fifty five. See, think I like that, that a lot more. I than think that that's a where we want to go.
2: And you know what, Mike? If you like
1: them in the series, you take an L on that. You take them in game seven and you split the baby. Right. You, you you have an opportunity to get it back in a game seven with Boston. I think they win this in six, maybe even five. Caps are a very good team, but Boston's playing better than them right now. And you have to factor that in. I like this minus, minus one and a half games for plus buck 55. Good spot here.
2: Okay, my friend. I give you the rest of the board for the first round. Give me two or three series prices or games, take your pick, that you are going to be all over here. Because I know you love diving into this. You are Mr. Hockey. I'm giving you the board. We'll get to the futures in a minute. But in these series, we hit on the Islanders. We hit on Washington and Boston.
1: What else will be on the Mike Carver board for round number one? I want to take Florida so badly. Against Tampa Bay. Like, I really want to do it, JJ. I mean, it's juicy. You know, they're plus 120 right now. Tampa's the defending cup That champ. seems low, My but, plus but, 120. It, it seems is. Seems low. It is. Here's the thing. Florida never wins. I mean, they've been in the playoffs only a handful of times in their history. They always lose in the first round when they do make it. Tampa is coming off winning. I'm worried about Tampa for this reason, JJ. They have played a lot of hockey in the last calendar year. You're talking about a team that's trying to win the Cup for the second time in less than 12 months. Yeah, it's Think about a- that. They went July to end of September and won the Cup in the bubble, and now they've played 56 games, and they're supposed to come back and win another four rounds of playoffs and win the Cup twice in less than 12 months? That is that is almost impossible as far as I'm concerned. Stamkos and Kucherov have been banked up. Lightning are getting them back for the playoffs. What worries me about the Panthers, JJ, is their goaltending. Bobrovsky has been bad in spots. They've actually got this kid, Knight, who's uh, a young uh, kid that they drafted in the first round a few years ago. I wish the Panthers would play him over Bobrovsky. They'd never do it because Bobrovsky makes $10 million bucks a year. You can't sit him over this rookie. If they were going with the kid, I'd like the Panthers, but I just don't have the stones to do it. Uh, but I got a feeling that the Panthers are going to beat Tampa. So if you want to get spicy, go there. I'm betting the Hurricanes in a sweep over Nashville. Plus five hundred. What 500. are you getting that at? Plus five hundred. Plus, plus five hundred for four games. Four games in that series at FanDuel. Plus five hundred. Uh, Nashville beat them the last two games of the regular season. Carolina basically said we're not showing you anything. We barely played any guys. Uh, Carolina is going to swarm them. That could be a lot of trouble. And I think that Montreal is going to push Toronto a little bit. Toronto are the biggest frauds that you're going to get in these playoffs, JJ. They got to whack the piñata and beat up on all these teams in the North the entire season. It's like the
2: AL Central last year. Remember the Indians? Same sort of deal. And Minnesota. They
1: basically got to sit around for 56 games and beat up Calgary, Ottawa, Montreal, Winnipeg, Vancouver, Edmonton. So Toronto's going to be riding high and they're going to sell you. Look at where they are in the futures. They're like the second or third choice to win the Cup. It's insane. When Toronto plays a team that's good, they are going to get whacked. When they play a Vegas, when they play a Colorado, a Boston, an Islanders, any of those teams, Toronto's going to get destroyed. And Montreal will push them in the first round. Six games for that series, JJ, plus 200. The Leaf price is too heavy. I think it's minus 215, minus 225. I can't go there. Give me six games, plus 200. Montreal pushes the Leafs a little bit. And I do think Edmonton, Uh, they're going to be in trouble. People are going to want McDavid to go far here. And the Jets were awful. Going into the playoffs, I'm I've, the Jets have been my team. I hate that they've had this bad string. Plus a buck fifty for the Jets to beat the Oilers in the first round. I will never bet any kind of American money on Mike Smith as my goaltender, and that's what you're going to try to do with Edmonton. I don't care if they have Connor McDavid, Leon Drysidel. I don't care if they bring Gretzky and Coffee, uh, you know, and Messier. Yeah. Where's Messier? Exactly. R- you know, they have Mike Smith, who they're going to try to win in goal. They, and if they do get by Winnipeg, Toronto will probably beat them in this in the next round. After that,
2: okay, futures market. You know I love getting invested with Vegas. That's our yes. team. That's our city. We're already in, baby. Me and um, you are in. We're already <laughs> locked
1: in. I think we got ten. What'd you get? Ten to one. I got ten to one earlier in the year. Yes, I got Vegas at ten to one before the season started. I knew you would never get a price. You That's told good me that again. in our, our beloved group you. chat. I told you. Told you told me. I was all uh, over it. First week of January before the season started, I said, get Vegas now. They're plus, what are they, plus 550, so it's 550,
2: half. exactly. It's half
1: of what we got them at, and they are one of the two or three best teams. And this is their year, man, JJ. If they don't win this year, I don't know when they're going to win. I mean, they're basically like a nickel or a dime off of the top of the salary cap. They're probably going to have to make some changes. They're not going to be able to keep all these guys again. Vegas has to win this year. I think that they're the best team. And, and listen, plus 550, are you still getting some pretty good juice with them right now before the playoffs start? Yeah. If you're not in at all and you want to get in now, five and a half to one is pretty good.
2: It's not like you get uh, plus two hundred. It's no, not like you getting no. plus plus one fifty. But let
1: me tell you, you're gonna get. It's gonna go to two hundred after they well, get out of the, the, the first, first two, of two rounds. Series. So basically, because what
2: you're saying is get it now.
1: Get it the now. Thing, the, the weird thing is, JJ, because of the way the format is this year, Vegas and Colorado, who right now are the top two favorites to win the cup, they're gonna play each other in the second round. No matter what. Because they're in the same division. So they're both going to win their first round games. And then Vegas and Colorado are going to play in the second round. It's going to probably be the series of the playoffs till we get to the cup final. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be physical. It's going to be fun. It's going to be outstanding. And I need Vegas to beat Colorado. I have been a a seller on the avalanche all year long. I think that they are a one-line team that gets propped up uh, by Nathan McKinnon and by Rantanen. And I think that their goaltending is awful. I will never go back Rubauer in a big spot. And I want Vegas to beat Colorado in the worst way, as we all do with these tickets preseason at 10-1.
2: little vindication right there. you have a dark <laughs> horse for me? Before we say goodbye, what is the dark horse right now? If you could find one on the board. It's not like the NBA playoffs where a team at 30-1 to 1 has no chance of winning right. at all. In the NHL, we have seen it. There are examples. The Blues a couple of years ago come to mind. Is there one that fits the bill?
1: Yeah, I think that all these teams, 20 to 1 or more, have no shot. And it's rare to say that. You're right. In most years, you can make a case for some deep shots. But Edmonton, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Montreal, Nashville, St. Louis, I just can't do it, JJ. I I think that the format this year is just not going to allow it. Um, I think that if you're looking for this middle tier, you want to play the East teams. I think that whoever comes out of the East is where you're going to get your value right now. Boston's 13 to one. Penguins are 13 to one. Caps are 13 to one. Islanders 16 to one. So that actually shows you, JJ, what I was saying to you before, how tight that division is one through four, that three of the teams are 13 to one and the fourth is 16 to one. That's how razor thin the East is. You got to pick the right horse out of those four teams. And that's the one where you're going to get some value on going to the four. And if I had to pick one right this second, it's probably going to be Boston. Uh, getting the Bruins at 13-1 to right now, that's pretty good. Because I think they're better than Carolina. I think they're better than Toronto. And Vegas and Colorado are going to eat each other before we get to the final four. And Carolina and Tampa are going to eat each other before we get to the final four. Because they're in the same division as well. So I think picking the right horse in the East, JJ, is where you want to look for value if you want to get into the future market to win the Stanley Cup. Killer
2: job but my main man, Mike Carver. Carver, it's like we're rolling the dice back at O'Shea's in good old Vegas, baby. And by the way, for the audience, in case you didn't know, bring me
1: back. I went to
2: Vegas for the first time. This gentleman's bachelor party back in (laughs) 2014. Uh And let's just say, Mike, your bachelor party, my friend, left a lasting impression.
1: Jeez, I mean, what a what a weekend that was! Uh, they had to scrape me off the floor. Uh, pretty you would be both down, and I was only I mean, there they, for forty eight hours. They basically had to wheelbarrow me out of the daylight nightclub, uh, the day club over there at the Mandalay Bay. I mean, that was a well. Tough you scene. have to
2: rest up for when the time comes for you. It's true. You better have a couple of bullets left in a holster, my
1: friend. And, and, and listen, I got one more thing for you before we go. I mean, honestly, can you try and sweep the rays, Aaron? Like, I mean, what are we sitting void for? Well, not only that, uh, How I mean, about What like are we doing Ford? here? Getting like, a
2: chance to hit 40 uh, out there when with a couple of runners on This
1: loser, Ford. I mean, this guy, Voight, didn't play for six weeks. He has eight at-bats, and he needs a blow tonight? I mean, J.J., seriously. And I thought this guy would sit Judge and Stanton tonight. You know I can't stand Boone. I They are never going to win with this guy as the manager. I was I could not believe. No Torres, no Hicks. Let's give uh, Voigt the night off after he sat around Boy, for weeks. Well, you know weeks. the deal, Mike. That was oh. a planned off day. They said for weeks
2: when they bring them back, we're playing them two days and we're giving them an off day. Two days. And he can't play three days on the turf in Tampa Bay. That's Finally, a have a
1: chance to step on this team's throat. This team that always beats you, and you go and you put Ford out there tonight instead of Void. It's embarrassing, JJ. It is
2: Mikey Carver always bringing the heat, and maybe I'll see a Halloween Dolphins Bills, my friend. Oh, I need a little Porter. revenge after last Let's year. Just Listen,
1: well, how many wins for the AFCs this year? I think it's going to take twelve. I think both of our teams are going to the playoffs this year. By the way, I agree with you. I think, I think both, both are going. Go. I
2: think you will. You will be favored to win a division, and you will. And I think 13. my team will finish in second place ahead of New England. I know everyone's on New England's jock right now. The Dolphins will have a better record than New England.
1: Thirteen and four for the Bills this year. Thirteen okay. and four.
2: I was gonna say eleven so. and six for the
1: Dolphins. No. Okay. So eleven there you go. and for, six. They'll both make the playoffs. I, I think, think that are. gets it done. Hey, well, I'll, I'll job well done. You. Come to, come to uh, Buffalo in mid-January for no, well, the second fine. round. That's Divisional round. Not, Mid-January Miami is and fine. Buffalo. I'm glad it's October and now week 17 <laughs>
6: and 18. All right, Trust buddy?
1: me, you'll take a mid-January trip to Buffalo right now. You would sign. Oh, I sign right Cause, now. Because that means you would have won a round, too. Not only that only means you make the first playoff, playoff you won a round. 20-something
2: years. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take it. I'll make the flight with you. Jet Pool will back in an hour, baby. Oh, let's go. Carver, great stuff, buddy. Thanks, pal. I love my main man, Mike Carver. We go way back. My first ever Vegas experience was with Mike. We rolled the dice till about 7 in the morning. Way too many casinos. Weekend was a little bit of a blur, but that's the way Vegas has got to be. I mean, that's when you know you had a killer Vegas trip. And that guy loves his hockey. So, Stanley Cup playoffs time, you know, that's the guy I'm going to be riding. Be riding him till the cows come home. They have a few differences, but we value the hockey opinion from that gentleman. Now, to set the stage for the weekend, Yankees in Baltimore. It'll be Herman, Kuber. Kuber, Kuber-Herman. Let's get the order right. Kuber on Friday. Herman on Saturday. Montgomery on Sunday. They're facing Mean Sunday, who's very, very good and has pitched great this year. Minimum go win two out of three. But more importantly, go get the bats going. That's something the Yankees have not done. Now for the Mets, in Tampa Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're going to get Glass now, who we know is a handful. He's a legitimate Cy Young candidate. He's a guy that I think is going to push Garrett Cole for that award this year. But for the Mets, keep on keeping on. They've won seven straight. They're five games over 500. They haven't done a great job at scoring runs, but they're winning ball games. You love the fact that they are winning ball games. Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Rays, Knicks. You know the deal. We got the Islanders opening up their first round series against the Penguins. And you know, I love the NFL schedule. I might be the only guy geeked out by it. I know a lot of people think it's like overkill and they can't stand it. I love it. Like, I already have planned out a couple of Dolphin road trips. I told you guys, Anthony and Syosset, I'll see you out there for week three with the Dolphins and the Raiders. Um, you have that giant Vegas game or the giant Dolphin game. See, Vegas is always on my mind. In Miami in December, and I'm going to need Miami in December. And I was just going through, from a Giant standpoint, the primetime games that always kind of geeks me out. They're opening with the Broncos, which is a Sunday 425 game. And that's going to be eerie because right before September the 11th, the Giants played a Monday night game against the Broncos. And there are a whole lot of people who tell the story that the reason they weren't in those towers or they weren't at work is because they watched that Giant game on Monday night. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Can you imagine if that was you? I mean, I've heard those stories from a variety of different people over the years. I mean, insane shit. Insane. But 20 years, we're going to be coming up on that 20-year anniversary, sickening anniversary of September the 11th. Broncos and Giants kicking off the year. But on a much lighter note, the primetime games, they're good. I mean, the Giants are at Arrowhead, first day of November. They're at the Bucs. They love the Giants and Brady. And they close the year. Listen to this. Cowboys at home, at the Eagles, at the Bears, home Washington. Three out of their final four games, division games. And they played Dallas the 10th of October. And then they played Dallas at home right before Christmas. So interesting, interesting stuff for the Giants as far as their schedule is concerned. Uh, The Jets, I mean, listen, you knew as far as primetime games, few and far between. You got the Colts on November the 4th. They're opening up with their old pal, their old buddy, Sam Darnold. I love that the league did that. Darnold wearing a Panthers jersey, the Jets and Zach Wilson going down to Carolina right out of the gate. Home opener is the Patriots and a London game. And I love the London games at 9.30 because they're degenerate specials. It's a standalone window. little coffee, little Bloody Mary. You got the Jets and the Falcons in London. My team is taking on Jacksonville in London. I love the London games. I would go to London this year, but it's in October, so. I mean, I think I might be a little preoccupied. So I wanted to touch on one or two scheduling notes. For those of you who really get into that stuff, I admit, I really do get into it. And a couple of road trips have already been planned. And I'll be bashing the league for some of their dopey scheduling like the Raiders on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, what in God's name are we doing? What are we doing? Before we say goodbye, the great Jeff Money wants to check in and set the stage for the weekend. What up, Money?
3: Hey, J.J., Jeff Money here with our Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for Friday, May the 14th. So for that, I like the Indians minus the 130 over the Mariners. The Indians are on a three-game winning streak. I know they were home at the time. Now they're on the road. And the Mariners are on a four-game losing streak that they were on the load at the time. Now they're home. It's going to be Savelli versus Flexen. Now, Savelli, he's 2-0 and with a 3.37 ERA, 1.2 whip. He's averaging about six innings pitched. Uh, per start against Flexen, one and one, two point four ERA with a one point four WHIP, and he's averaging about five innings. I think it's going to come down to the bullpen. The Indians bullpen has a two point four two ERA on the road versus the Mariners with a three point three four ERA at home, and the Indians are twelve and six versus righties. So give me the Cleveland Indians minus the one thirty. All right, JJ, out of here. Let's go.
2: Jeff Money, love it, baby. A little late-night beat, and I'm in Baltimore. So after I watch the Yankee games, I might ride with you with the Cleveland Indians. And I love the fact that the Indians will be settled in in Seattle. I don't like taking teams first game out on the West Coast. Settle in, get your feet wet, get used to the time. I think that's a good way to play it. We are back Sunday night. Michael Kay, the voice of the New York Yankees, is going to join us. It's amazing. We've been competitors for a long time. We've never actually had an on-air conversation. I'm looking forward to that. We will know who the Knicks' first-round opponent is going to be. The Nets, they're not going to know. They're going to have to probably watch the plan unless something wacky and crazy happens over the next two days. Enjoy all the baseball. Enjoy the ponies and the preakness if you get into that. I don't. I'm going to be down in Baltimore, and I'm not going to be into the preakness. Tells you a little something about me. But I'll be down there. Maybe somebody give me a beak, Make a little matchup. Enjoy your weekend. JJ out. Be good, everybody.